You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open your Bibles this afternoon in connection with the text, the Word of God, as it's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 46 about the opening address of the Lord's Prayer. We'll read together from Luke chapter 10, the verses 17 through 24. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And we turn to our second reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. For our text this afternoon, we turn to Lord's Day 46, to the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church there, teaching about the address of the prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, which we know as the Lord's Prayer. So Lord's Day 46. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us, at the very beginning of our prayer, that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ, and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added 
in heaven. These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you've seen it, witnessed it many times, I'm sure, and each time there's something very special about it, and quite often there's something a little awkward about it. You've probably witnessed that moment, maybe you have even been a part of that moment yourself, when the wedding is over, the vows have been exchanged, and the bride and the groom, along with their families, are enjoying a time of celebration, basking in thankfulness and joy that these two have become one, have come together in marriage. Now, sometimes this moment happens immediately after the service in the receiving line that quickly forms. Sometimes it happens, it comes during the couple's thank you speech. And sometimes it just comes at a, at a random moment as the new groom has to address his, his father-in-law, his new father-in-law, for something. Say he's asking for the keys to the car. He says, hey, can you pass me the keys? And then he pauses. And he's not quite sure what to say next. And then he says, dad, dad. It's a title that for his entire life has only been reserved for one person. And suddenly he uses this, this intense, this beautiful, this rich title that means so much to him for someone else. Why does he do that? Well, because it's proper. Because now he is united to his wife by marriage. And in doing so, he has gained a father. A very similar, in fact, the language that the, that the Bible uses, we could say the very same thing happens to us when we are united to Jesus Christ as our groom. When through baptism we're incorporated into the church and through faith we're grafted into Christ, we gain not only a, a beautiful, a, a wonderful, life-giving relationship with the eternal Son of God, with Jesus Christ Himself, but at the very same time, we gain a wonderful, beautiful, life-giving relationship with the Father in heaven. And we gain the distinct privilege of addressing Him the Father in heaven, the Father, the God who has made all things, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we gain the distinct privilege of calling Him our Father. And so this afternoon, as we look at this address that the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray, we'll see how it's because we are in Christ. Since we are in Christ, we can address God as our Father. Since we are in Christ, we can address God as our Father. We address God in our prayer as children of His. We also address God as church altogether. We don't say my, we say our. 
And finally, we address God in awe and worship because our Father is the Heavenly Father. Since we are in Christ, since we are united with Christ, we address God as children. It's true, brothers and sisters, that God is our Father because He has made us. The Apostle Paul, when he was in Athens, he quoted with approval the Greek poet Epimenides who wrote, We are His offspring. Everyone, every human being is, in a certain sense, a child of God. It's also true that God is our Father in the sense that He gives us birth through regeneration. You can think of the beginning of the Gospel of John. John, in chapter 1, verse 13, says that we are children born not of natural descent, nor of a husband's decision or a human will, but born of God. God is our Father in that sense as well. Peter says we've been born into a, we've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the reality that's central when our Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples to address God in prayer is not our creation. It's not even our regeneration. The reality that's central is our adoption as children. That is that God has, has brought us into his family through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has not only given us new birth through Jesus Christ, but God the Father has brought us into his family. And that's a very special place to be. Because when you're in the family, you have the rights and the privileges of the family. As the Apostle Paul says, because we are sons, we are also heirs. We are heirs of the inheritance that is due to the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it in Galatians 3. He said, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And he said, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Through Jesus Christ, we have become sons of God. Children of God with all the rights of sons. That's how that would have been understood in those days. To call someone a son as opposed to a daughter was to say that they had the right to the inheritance. That's why the Apostle Paul speaks the way that he does in these verses. We have the rights of sons. We have the right to the inheritance. And one of the central blessings of that incredible reality as Paul speaks about it is that we can address God, the eternal God, as our Father. Just like that groom or like the bride on a wedding day, when that reality of becoming united happens, then too, the dynamics of the family changes. When you come together in marriage, you gain a new family relationship. 
And what's true of a married couple pales in comparison to what's true when we are united with Jesus Christ by faith. It changes the dynamic of our relationship, not only with God the Father, but it changes the dynamic of every single relationship that we have. But no relationship, of course, is so weighty, important, or affects us more than the relationship that we have with our Father in heaven. And so let me ask you if you know your Father in heaven. Do you know the God who created the heavens and the earth as your Father? If you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you will say, yes. If you're not a Christian, you might be saying, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And you may be thinking that because, in fact, addressing God as Father has been, in our country, in our culture, something that was very popular to do. Many people may believe that you don't have to be a Christian at all to say the words, Our Father. There was a time when the Lord's Prayer was all over our culture. People would say it in in public school. It would be used at the opening of of, uh, state events, of political meetings, and, and other uses as well. It was used more often, in fact, or by more people, probably, than there were Christians. It would say, Our Father, who is in heaven. And so it's possible that you have never thought about the impact of those opening words. The ability to say, Our Father. But those words contain in them the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that those words have any meaning. But through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you take those words on your lips, then they have deep, deep meaning. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he died for sins and that he rose again victorious over the grave, then you are united to Jesus Christ in that death and resurrection. That is, if you believe that Jesus Christ has done that, then he has done it for you. To take away your sins and to defeat death for you, that you might live a new life. And the Apostle Paul says, if you are united to Jesus Christ, then you are a child of God. Then you have access to God the Father in heaven. Then at any time, at any moment, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you've done, you can come before the God who created heaven and earth and rules everything by His almighty power today. You can come to Him in prayer. And He will hear you. He will hear you. In Jesus Christ, 
we can address God as our Father. Since we are in Christ, we also come before the Father as church. That address taught by our Lord Jesus Christ, it teaches us about the reality of our adoption into God's family. It also teaches us about the reality of the church, the holy Catholic Christian church, the church around this world. That is, when our Lord Jesus taught us to address God, he taught us to address God altogether. He taught us to say, Our Father. This reality of our union and our unity with each other is expressed, of course, is, sorry, basic to our adoption as sons. Uh, again, Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes that you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ when you clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. To be adopted into the family of God the Father means to come together, to be united. It means the reality of the church, of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're united to Jesus Christ, God becomes our Father, and we all together become brothers and sisters. The prayer taught by our Lord Jesus Christ, like all of our prayers, is then to reflect that unity that we have all together when we say our. And we, living in the times that we live in, need to keep this at the top of our mind. In fact, we need to work to keep this at the top of our mind. That when we address God in prayer, as with all aspects of our lives, we do so not as individuals, but we do so communally. We do all things together because Jesus Christ has brought us all together by his work on the cross. We need to remember that because our society is one that so much emphasizes the individual. The individual, the individual. It's all about you, 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 singular. It's all about me and my. Our society emphasizes the individual. And so we are more and more tempted to neglect the communal aspect of all things, prayer included. Here's a little test for you. See how you're doing. Have you ever changed the wording of the Lord's Prayer? Have you ever been alone at work, sitting down for lunch by yourself? You're going to pray silently. There's no other Christians around. And so you bow your head and you say the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever changed the words and you said, My Father who is in heaven and went on, give me this day my daily bread. You see, that wouldn't seem that strange to us because after all, We're praying by ourselves. Why would we say our? But if we thought in communal terms, we would just pray our because we know that we are always a part of the community. Even when we pray by ourselves, even if we pray in the middle of Siberia or at the North Pole with no one else around, when we call upon our Father in prayer, we are calling upon Him all together as the church. A beautiful reality expressed in that one simple pronoun. 
In praying our, we are identifying ourselves with the church of our Lord Jesus Christ around the entire world. The church which has been been bought by his blood, the church chosen to everlasting life, united together in God's great saving work in Jesus Christ. In short, that our, simply by saying that word, you are joining together with the church in communal in a communal response of thanks and praise to God. It is in response to the work of Jesus Christ that we can say all together, our Father. And so it is an act of worship to call upon God as our Father. It's also an expression of love to each other. When we say our, we are praying with the church, And we are also praying for the church. And that's because we don't stop our prayers at the word our, right? We go on after that. We address God as our Father, and then we bring before Him, in Jesus Christ, with all the rights and privileges that we have through access to the throne of God in heaven, we bring the concerns of the church before Him. We bring the the prayers, the requests, the intercessions and the thanksgivings of our brothers and sisters before the throne of God. United together in Jesus Christ under the fatherhood of God as brothers and sisters, we must be united. And so we feel for each other. We hurt with each other. We're concerned for each other. We share joy along with each other. What happens to one part of the body affects the rest of the body. We grieve with those who grieve. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we express that in that simple word, our. Every single time we come before God in prayer. And so, in teaching us to call upon our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ calls us to love each other deeply and to love each other deeply through our prayers. We also, because we are in Christ, come before God in worship and in awe. This is the reality that knowing God as our Father in that special, familial, intimate way does does not negate the fact that He is also the King of the universe. He is also our King and our Lord. He is our King who is our Father. Now that doesn't, that doesn't introduce a break into who, oh, we know God as Father at one moment and then we know God as Lord and King at another moment. No, it doesn't introduce a break into our knowledge of God. What it does is it adds depth to our knowledge of God and to our prayers. It adds meaning to the relationship that we have with our Father when we know that He is our King and our Lord. And that kingship is expressed when our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray the words, in heaven. Now, what does in heaven mean? Well, you know that the the Bible teaches us that God dwells in heaven. Heaven is, according to Isaiah chapter 63, the holy and glorious place where God dwells on his throne. He's a king. He has a throne. We we catch a glimpse of something of that holiness and glory in the book of Revelation, for example, Revelation chapter 4, where John 
is able to see into heaven. This magnificent sight that he sees when he looks into heaven and he sees that the 24 elders and he sees the seven spirits and he sees the four living creatures and they're all these wonderful and, and, and terrible creatures around the throne of God. And night and day, they're giving glory and honor and thanks. All of their attention is focused upon that holy and glorious throne of God in heaven where he rules as king. God dwells in heaven, as the Apostle Paul says, as the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one can see or no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. From heaven, the glorious God sits on his throne and he rules and governs all things in this world and the affairs of mankind. So that's a a picture of where heaven is and and what's happening in heaven. But what does that mean for our prayers? When we pray to our Father in heaven, then we honor His majesty. It calls to mind for us that God is the majestic and glorious King. We are recalling our Father's rightful place above and before us. He is the holy and glorious God who lives in unapproachable light, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're calling to mind, we're confessing even that His ways are higher than our ways. He is in heaven. His throne is in heaven. Our throne is not there. We are on earth. He knows all and governs all things according to His plan. We don't rule and govern according to our plan. And so we are submitting ourselves to him and we are giving him honor and glory when we recall that he's in heaven. In our reading from Luke 10, our Lord Jesus honored his father's majesty when he acknowledged God's pleasure in making the gospel known to little children while hiding it from the wise and the learned. He's acknowledging that the all things are in control of the father And if he wants to teach a little child about the gospel so that it's clear to them and they can believe it, and he wants to hide that from someone who's wise and learned, he can do that because he's God. But the reality for us as Christians, united with Jesus Christ, is that at the right hand of the Father is our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we are united. The Lamb who was slain, as the book of Revelation goes on to show. It shows God on His throne in heaven. And in the next chapter, chapter 5, then we see Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And He's the Lamb who will work out God's plan in history. God is the powerful and almighty king who rules all things, but he rules all things through his son, Jesus Christ. So when we pray to our father in heaven, then we are praying to our father where our Lord Jesus Christ is at his right hand. When we pray to our Father in heaven, the Father grants us access to his throne for the sake of his Son. And so we, human beings, 
fallible, sinful human beings are able to come before that holy and glorious throne of God in heaven, are able to speak our prayers, and God will hear us on his holy and glorious throne in heaven where angels and creatures worship him night and day, God will hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so we realize that when we pray to our Father in heaven, because Jesus Christ is there at his right hand, we also find great comfort. He is powerful, but that power is comforting to us through Jesus Christ. And that is, in fact, the overwhelming teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ when when he speaks of our Father in heaven in the Gospels. If you were to do a little search in your Bible and you were to look for the words Father and heaven in the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, you'd see that the Lord Jesus, when he speaks of our Father in heaven, he's often speaking about God's powerful care and concern for his people. He says the Father in heaven is the one who who shows kindness even to the unrighteous in Matthew 5. The Father in heaven is the one who rewards the good deeds of his children. The Father in heaven in Matthew 18 is the one who cares for little children. The Father in heaven is the one who forgives the sin of humble sinners in Mark 11. The Father in heaven is the one who gives good gifts to his children in Luke 11. Why is this powerful and holy and glorious Father so kind and loving, so concerned and compassionate with His children? Well, it's because of His love for His Son, Jesus Christ. It's because we are united with Him. Our Father dwells as King and Lord in heaven. He is powerful And he is also loving. He is powerful. He rules all things. But he is also loving. And these two characteristics of our Father come together perfectly in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, then, we know the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Jesus We adore his majesty. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we bask in his love. Since we are in Jesus Christ, we can come before our Father in heaven in prayer, and he hears us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.